0: A lot of Christians have misrepresented God. And I want you to know that of all the different adjectives by which he is known, bread of life, light of the world, and on and on, he's also the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. Now I want to read two passages here, Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. I want you to look at what was said about Jesus and the scuttlebutt that was going on about him Bad rumors. Look what it said. The Son of Man, now this is Jesus talking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and here's what they're saying about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine bibber, a drunk, a drunk, and a glutton. That's what they said about Jesus. A friend, uh oh, of publicans and sinners friend of those nasty sinners. How many of you can say I was a sinner? How many of you can say I've sinned at least once this year? All right, I want to know if I'm talking to human beings. Now, um, it goes on to say in Luke 13, or rather 15, 1 through 3, when Jesus started going to the prostitutes and drunkards, let's read, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, notice what kind? Notorious. How many of you can say, in my past, I was Notorious. We were all notorious in heaven. Now, these are the kind that came to me. Look, notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So Jesus did not push sinners away. Okay? This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and gasp, even eating with them. Now, we make fun here, but how many of you have ever been in a church that made you feel that way? Yeah. Now, Jesus didn't, and that's what I want to bring over to you today. Notorious sinners felt very safe coming into his presence and listening to him teach. And every church ought to be that way welcoming sinners. This is a hospital for sinners and a watering hole for saints. But it's not just a watering hole for saints. We want the up-and-outers, down-and-outers, good, bad, and the ugly walking in these doors because people are being saved every single week. So far be it from us that we'd be like these Pharisees. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name that you will sow this seed into our hearts, that we would have a fresh concept of Jesus being the friend of sinners, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's your friend. He's your friend. Amen. You know, when Jesus started going to the prostitutes and the drunkards and the lepers and the publicans and tax collectors and what was considered the untouchables of society back then, the the teachers of the word began to murmur. These were the Pharisees, the scribes, those that taught the Word of God. They began to murmur, and they began to spread rumors about Jesus. And one of the rumors was he receives sinners, he eats with sinners, and he's the friend of sinners. Now, they were right and they were wrong when they called Jesus the friend of sinners. What they meant to do when they did that? They meant to run him down. They meant to undermine and undercut his authority and his outreach. They meant it as a criticism. They didn't mean it as a compliment. They meant it as a criticism. He's a friend of sinners. He's out there eating with the despicable, the outcasts. They meant it negatively. Now, they were right and they were wrong. Let me tell you where they were wrong. Jesus was not a friend of sinners in that he did what they did. And that's what the Pharisees were accusing him of. Because he was a friend of sinners didn't mean he did what they did, went where they went, sinned in the way they sinned. He was among them, but he was not of them. Just like you and I are in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus got in there with the sinners, and he did sit down, and he did eat with them, and he did converse with them, and he did love on them, and he did try to draw them, but he never did what they did. He never sinned once in his whole life. Never one time did Jesus ever have to say, Father, forgive me. Can you imagine a life like that? Never having to say, God, forgive me, I have sinned. Jesus never had to do that. But now here's where they were right. He was a friend of sinners in that he cared about them. He was concerned about them. He wanted them saved. He wanted them delivered. He wanted them helped. He just did not do what they did. So in that sense, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was concerned about their welfare. He didn't want them to perish for eternity. For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So in that respect, they were right. He's a friend of sinners, and guess what? He's your friend and he's mine. When I read the Bible, something occurs to me that the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of first Adam falling and being cut off in his relationship with God, and from that moment forward... God, from Genesis to Revelation, is seeking to have an intimate, personal friendship with sinful human beings. We are not in a religion. We are in a relationship. And it was the relationship that was broken and severed and cut in the Garden of Eden. And it's the relationship that God is after from the very moment He cried out to Adam, Where are you? I'm looking for you, searching for you. I want you back in fellowship with me, Adam. I want you to know today, church, that God wants to relate to you, talk with you, walk with you, show his love to you. He wants you to come to know him progressively all the rest of your life. He wants you to know him better today than he knew him last week. It's a relationship that we're in. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. Now, I don't want to, here's a fancy word that comes out of seminary. I don't want to anthropomorphize God. Now, here's what that means. Bring him down where he's just another human being like you and me. I don't want to make him into a man because God's not one of us. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And you're not like me. I'm glad to tell you, church, that I've looked at the job description and God is the only one who can fill it. And thank God we're not God. Oh, thank God we're not God. Be a lot of grief spots in here if we were God. But God do- does want to be our friend. Listen, the Bible records how so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Abraham believed God and was called the friend of God. Luke reveals that as Jesus as a friend of sinners. Now, there are good friends, there's bad friends, right? How many of you have ever had a bad friend? And boy, you regretted hooking up with them because no good came out of it. Let me see your hands again. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of philosophies of friendship. Here's one. I'm the kind of friend you can depend on. I'm always around when I need you. How many of you had one of those? This friendship is one way. I'm there when I need you, but they're not there when you need them. That's not a real friend, is it? But that's not the kind of friend that God is. Here's what somebody accurately said. One of the best statements of friendship is this. If you really want to know who your friends are, make a big mistake and watch the ones that walk out and watch the ones that walk in. And the ones that walk in, go buy them a dozen red roses and send them to them and kiss them on the cheek and hold them tight because that's a real friend. The Hebrews really understood friendship. And as I was getting ready for this message, I found three words that have to do with friends. And I want to share it with you because here's three levels of friendship. The first Hebrew word for friend is the word reah. Reah. And it means an associate. Somebody you keep company with, somebody you might hang around with on a superficial level. The closest English word that we've got to raya is acquaintance. An acquaintance. Somebody you meet on the tennis court, somebody sits next to you in school. You know you, you know their name, but you don't know a lot of the intimate things about their life, but they're an acquaintance. And Proverbs 18:24 talks about this kind of friend. A man who has acquaintances must show himself friendly. So if you need a friend, don't wait for God to drop one into your living room. The Bible says go out and be simply friendly. Smile. You might shock a few people. You know, some Christians look like the worst thing that ever happened to them was Jesus Christ. I want to say the best thing that ever happened to me was Jesus Christ. And if Jesus hadn't put a smile on your face, you need to get closer to Jesus because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And and, and he puts a smile on your face. He really does. But if you're friendly, you're gonna make friends on a superficial level. At least you're gonna make an acquaintance. That's the first one, reah. Then there's a second Hebrew word, and it's aloof, aloof. And this means to be gentle with, to be familiar with. We would call them close friends. These, These are the people that know your stuff. They know about your marriage problems. They know about your temptations. They know about your mistakes. Al-Loof is the person who you confide in. You tell them your secrets. They know you, and they don't reject you having known you. They know you're not perfect. much as you think you are, they know you're not. We call these close friends, people you talk to about the real significant issues of life, a close friend, and they're good to have, Al-Loof. But then there's a third word, and the third word is ahab, and this is the deepest, highest, top-shelf friendship you can have. Ahab means intimate, close companion. Now, you know what they say about this kind of friend. They say, if you reach the end of your life and you have a couple of ahabs, you're rich. Because these are the people who the Bible describes with three characteristics. And I want you to listen to them. Listen carefully to this. Proverbs 18, 24 gives us the first characteristic of an Ahab. There is a friend, Ahab, that sticks closer than a brother. So the Ahab friend is one who sticks. Can everybody say with me, stick? Now that means they don't leave you. They don't walk out on you, they don't reject you, they don't desert you, they don't abandon you. No matter what you do, these are the ones that, when you make a big mistake, the Ahab walks in when everyone else walks out. Proverbs eighteen twenty four: There is a friend and all have sticks closer than a brother, so they stick. Can you say the word "stick" with me? How many have somebody that sticks with you? You're blessed. You're blessed. I was reading, just last night we got home from church, and I just happened to read a news story about Doris Day. Doris Day, that beautiful actress from the 50s, blonde, happy, just had one of those happy faces that made you smile, and all those old Christmas movies, you know, Doris Day, everybody loved Doris Day, and I read this story, I I read about Doris Day, and it says that now and for the last couple of decades, she's been completely alone, isolated. She had friends, she had husbands, a few, a couple, two or three, and decided that relationships didn't work for her. So she, she isolated herself in this huge mansion, Doris Day. And suddenly she became known as the woman who would go out at nights and find stray animals, stray dogs, stray cats, and brought them into her house and at one point had as many as 50 dogs in her house. What was she doing? She was transferring her desire for relationship, her need for connection, her need to be needed to animals because all the earth relationships had failed. Now, the article was quoting a man who had known her for a very, very long time. It said, Now in her low 90s, she just wanders her mansion alone. No all have in her life. The one who everybody knows, but is totally isolated and totally alone. And I thought, nobody wants to get old or should get old that way. So I tell you, if you have one Ahab, one friend, you're richer than famous Doris Day. There's another characteristic of this kind of friend found in Proverbs 27, 6. Not only do they stick, but it says, faithful are the wounds of an Ahab an intimate friend. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that an intimate friend not only loves you unconditionally, but an intimate friend and all have will tell you the truth. They'll be truthful with you. Now, in our day, we've got a sick, a really kind of twisted idea of what love is. We live in a politically correct culture, which is soft Marxism. And political correctness says, if you really love somebody, you will never, ever offend them. Matter of fact, the whole, the whole conviction of what love is out there is, if you really love somebody, you will, you will tolerate whatever they do and you will never offend them. To offend somebody is not to love them. And so we, we walk on glass to not offend people and, and, and this political correctness causes us to not be truthful with people. But let me tell you, if there's anybody I know of in all of history who would have disagreed with political correctness and that whole notion of don't offend anybody, it was Jesus Christ who offended people all the time in love. He told them the truth. Now, the third characteristic of an Ahab is found in John 15, 13. Jesus said, "'Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends.'" So the truest friend, the Ahab, is one with whom there is love that sticks closer than a brother. It is somebody who will tell you the truth, and it is somebody, watch this, who will die for you. Now, the first two, you were probably thinking, well, I do have a couple of Ahabs until I came to the last one, because you probably can't think of anybody who would die for you. And I can't think of anybody... Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? You never know if you're going to do it until you're there. But there's not very many people who would die for another human being, but an all-have will. Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, then then based on that, I don't think I have an all-have anywhere in my life. And let me tell you, you do. You do have an all-have in your life. And so do sinners, And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the true Ahab. He is the true friend. He is the greatest friend you and I will ever have. And I want us to leave church today with this concept of Jesus in our minds. Even Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus talked about friendship and he is our greatest friend. You don't have a better friend than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And neither do I. He is always truthful with me. He has never left me and he died for me. Jesus Christ is a friend. Can you say with me, he's my best friend? Yes, Yes, he is. Let's try it again. Jesus is my best friend. friend. I, I want you to know you don't have a better one than Jesus. Do you know that when Jesus was all about reaching sinners, he was all about loving people that no one else loved. The love of Jesus. You know, he went into his hometown after he came out of the wilderness and he was anointed with power. He went into the hometown, his hometown. He opened up the scroll. He began reading from the Old Testament. And he went straight to Isaiah. And here's what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And Bi- the Bible says that everybody in that synagogue's eyes were fastened, glued, fixed on Jesus. Now, listen closely. Listen closely. What was he anointed to do, and who, he was, who was he anointed for? Well, he goes on to tell us. Here's why I came. To preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken in heart, to bring deliverance to those that are captive, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Do you hear those descriptions? Who's he there aiming for? The poor, the brokenhearted, hearted The captive, the bound, the blind, the bruised. Notice the types of people that he names are the down and out, the poor, the brokenhearted, captive, blind, bruised, hurting, friendless, lonely, left out, and pushed out. That's who Jesus came for. Friends, he's the friend of sinners. Aren't you glad he came knocking on the door of your heart? When you were lost in sin and bound up in iniquity, and who came and found you? Jesus came and knocked and said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock, and if you open the door to me, I will come into you and sup with you and you with me. And when you did it, Jesus came in, and you met the best friend you've ever had, and he changed your life. And guess what? One day soon, he is coming back, and your friend and mine is going to take us up into glory by the power of his word. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's the friend of sinners. And this is stated over and over again in the Bible, Matthew 9, 10. It came to pass as Jesus sat eating in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Tax collectors were considered extortioners and criminals in that day. And they were despised, unlike the way we love our IRS today. I'm sorry, I had to slip that in. (laughs) And when the Pharisees saw him sitting down with the tax collectors, the extortioners, and the sinners, they said to the disciples, what is your master doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus overheard it. And here's what Jesus said, they that are well need not a physician, but they that are sick. And go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The friend of sinners. He befriended them to reach them. Never placed a seal of approval on their sin. But he got around them, loved on them, talked to them, befriended them, called them, wooed them, spoke into their life. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He wasn't talking to church people. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that? Jesus is easy and his burden is light. It's not heavy and hard. Now, he used a really interesting word there when he said labor, all you that labor and are heavy laden. That word means to be weary, to be fatigued, to be exhausted, to work to the point of sweat, to work to the bone. Here's what he was really saying. Come unto me, all, that you, all you that have had it. Come to me, all you that have had it. How many of you have ever reached the place where you have had it? He said, I want you, come on, unto me, all you that labor, And have had it. And do you know what he was talking to? Who was under the biggest burden of all? Those who are in sin, because there is nothing harder on you than sin. He was talking about those laboring under the burden of guilt and the weight of sin. He said, come unto me, all you that are laboring under the burden and guilt and condemnation of sin, and I will give you rest. In other words, if you're a sinner, I'm for you. This is Jesus, the friend of sinners. You know, the devil is such a liar. He tells people, if you get become a Christian and you walk with Christ and you become one of those, life's going to be boring, dull, monotonous, no fun, no laughter. But if you live in sin, they're the ones having all the fun and he is a liar, Because the Bible says there's nothing harder on you and me than sin, and there's nothing better for us than Jesus Christ. Listen, to walk with Jesus on a daily basis is a life of adventure. The Bible says that every day God loads us down with benefits. Well, if God loads us down every day with benefits, then we ought to be waking up every day saying, I am excited about what God is going to do with me and for me and through me today because there's benefits loaded up for me today. Benefits by God. There are people who every day have anger fits. They have fear fits. They have doubt fits. They have worry fits. But those that work with, walk with God have benefits. He really does bless. Some of you need to get excited about your Christianity again. When I look at, at, at some people, I'm not talking about you, but there are some people you look at and say, if God did that to you, I don't want to know your God. Because they walk around like the worst thing that ever happened to them was Jesus Christ or, or Christianity. But I'm going to tell you, if you really walk with him, he puts a smile on your face. He puts joy in your heart. He changes your life. Let's get out of religion and let's get into the relationship that blesses us. Give him a hand. That's really true. So let me just take that word I'll have and tell you three quick things about Jesus. First, he won't leave you. I'm glad to tell you he won't leave you. Jesus made this promise. He said, I'm with you some of the time until the end of the world. Is that what he said? I'm with you when you do right. Is that what he said? I'm with you unless you make mistakes. Is that what he said? No. He said, I'm with you always until the world ends. Jesus never walks out. Jesus never says, well, you know what? It's been real, but I'm tired of fooling with you. Have a great life. He never walks out like people walk out. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Can you say that with me today, church? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I looked up those two words, leave and forsake. Get this. They're very different. Leave means let go of or give up on. I'm never going to give up on you. That's good news because I don't know about you, but I would have given up on me a few times in my life. And even when I gave up on me, he didn't give up on me. I learned that Jesus loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you right where you are. And he never walks out. And when others walk out, and even you walk out on yourself, he walks in and says, no, 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 we're not done yet. I'm not going to give up on you because... I am confident of this one thing. He has be- that has begun a good work in me will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. You're on the potter's wheel and you're going to be there until Jesus Christ blows the trumpet and comes and takes us out. He's never going to give up. <laughs> Forsake means to leave in the lurch or abandon or desert. He said, here's, here's my covenant with you. I don't leave. I don't give up on you. And we can just encapsulate it like this. Jesus will not ever give up on you in your failures or abandon you in your hour of trouble. He won't leave you in the lurch. That's good news. We serve a good God. We serve a Savior I wish the whole world knew. In your darkest hour of failure... Jesus walks in when you're sitting in ashes and the sun is obscured and it's the midnight hour of your soul and you see no hope and you see no light at the end of the tunnel and you don't know where to turn and nobody is there to hold your hand. That is when Jesus sends the spirit of God into your misery and the resurrection spirit of God says, get up. I'm going to dust you off. I'm going to fill you with fresh life. I'm going to fill you with fresh vision. And you and me are coming out of this valley onto the other side. And we're going to fully complete the will of God in your life because Jesus said so. Same thing about him, he'll tell you the truth. Jesus always told the truth. He didn't do PC. He always told the truth. And sometimes the truth was brutal. Man, when he talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he told the truth even when it hurt. He told the truth even when it hurt, knowing that the truth would ultimately heal you. You know, we talk about truth a lot, but we really don't much like the full truth. And Jesus told us the truth. Brutally truthful. Scribes and Pharisees, look at what he said to them one day. And people say, Jesus was gentle, loving, kind. And and if you ever say anything that offends somebody, you're not being like Jesus. What Bible are you reading? Because listen to Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees. These are the guys with the collar on, the religious teachers. Here's what he said to them. You serpents, you generation of vipers. Let me make that, let me Texasize that for you. You rattlesnake, water moccasin, copperhead, lying I got to be careful here. He's calling them poisonous pit vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Now there stands the religious teachers the ones that teach the people every week on Sabbath day in the synagogue, telling them how to walk with God. And Jesus looks them right in the eye and says, you copperheads, you water moccasins, you rattlesnakes, you generation of pit vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? In other words, you're going straight to hell if you don't repent. And I love you. (laughs) I love you. I really do. But he was so gentle with the woman at the well goes up to the well, sits down. There's a the Samaritan woman. He says, can I have a drink of water? She says, what are you doing here? A Jew talking to me, a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. He said, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you a drink of water that once you drink it, you're never going to be thirsty again. She said, whoa, well, give me that water. He said, are you sure? Now, I threw that in there. Are you sure? She said, oh, I want that living water. He said, okay, go get your husband. Oh, well, I don't have a husband right now, Lord. He said, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're shacked up with right now isn't your husband." I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Now, what was he doing? He was saying, all right, you want the water? You're going to have to believe who I am. And the only way you're going to believe who I am is if I read your mail and I show you that I know about you when nobody's told me about you. Do you know that that moment of truth, he told the truth, I perceive you're a prophet. She went running into the town, and she became the first New Testament evangelist. It says she ran into the town and said, come and meet a real man who has told me everything I've ever done. And it says the whole town believed because of the word of the woman at the well. She became a believer because he told her the truth. Jesus cares enough to tell us the truth. Amen? The question is, are you courageous enough to listen to it? And then the last thing, final thing, not only did he stick, and not only is he truthful with you and me, but he died for us. Church, think about it. Think about it afresh and anew. Romans 5, listen to this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Paul goes on to reason. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, still cursing Him, still offending Him, still blaspheming His name when we wanted nothing to do with Him, when we were totally helpless, totally given over to sin, totally perishing and didn't even know it, when we were totally out of the picture, He died for us hanging on that cross. That's a friend to sinners. Think with me, Jesus Christ was willing to die for our adultery, our lies, our curses against His own name, For our blasphemies, He was willing to die for all the foul thoughts we've ever thought and all the foul deeds we've ever committed and all the foul words that have ever come out of our mouth. Jesus took the rap for it and died in our stead. He died for every sin we would ever commit or ever can commit. And He did it while we were His enemies and not His friends. Jesus died. He's the friend of sinners. It just makes me sit back and say, oh, God, thank you. You don't give up on me. You don't abandon me. You don't walk out on me. You tell me the truth, and you died for me. Oh, to neglect that salvation would be such a mistake. To turn him away when he did that? To say no thanks when he died for you and me? No wonder the judgment will come on those who heard this and said, I don't want it. Because he's the best friend you'll ever have. Can we stand together today? Say with me together, can you? Say, he'll never give up on me. He'll never abandon me. He'll tell me the truth. And he died for me. Can we lift our hands and just thank him? Thank you, Lord God. Lord, we are humbled by this word. We're arrested by this word. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are our true Ahab. The friend that sticks, the truthful friend, the sacrificed friend. Lord, I pray that anyone here today who used to walk with you but has drifted, Lord, touch their hearts and bring them home today. Can you bow with me for just a moment of prayer? If you're here today, you say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with God, but I have drifted. And you saying that is only a confirmation because he's been touching my heart, calling me, nudging me, speaking to me, making me aware that I needed to come home. Or maybe you've never in your life known for sure that Jesus Christ, our Ahab, had come into your heart you can do it today. I wouldn't get in my car and get on that highway without making sure that I was right with God. With your heads bowed, if you can say, pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, I want you to forget about every person in this room. Just listen to my voice and turn your eye up towards him. If you can say, I'm in one of those categories, I want you to raise your hand, would you? Say, I need the Lord. I need to get right. God bless. Put them high, real high. He's your friend. He's your best friend. God bless you, many of you. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out right now from where you are and come and stand right in this altar. Because something, you're going to experience the peace of God today. Don't worry about what people think. Who cares what people think? It matters what He thinks. Tell your feet to begin to walk and come right now. Just start walking. And come and stand right here. Don't be ashamed of Him. Because he wasn't ashamed of you. And when he walked up Calvary's hill naked and bleeding for you, we can come down here. Well, why do I need to come down? Because when you do, you take a step of faith and it releases the power of God on your life.